Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Crawling towards what? Seventy-five. Sixty-five. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're kind of in the midst. We're not even close to a hundred. There's nothing to celebrate on the horizon, but that's okay. We are here with you, middle of February, February seventeenth, when we're recording this. And uh, well, let's do a quick wrap up on on you know we had last year. We've already talked about last year it was a really good year to be invested. We've had a little bit of volatility this year, but it's been pretty positive. For the most part, pretty so darn far. positive. I think that yeah. it's up. Yeah, no, I, I mean, mean it was a little. Up. There was a, a period of time where things dipped for a bit, but I mean, it was one week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a pretty good time to be an investor. Um, it's an incredible time to be an investor, but it's amazing how many people are actually starting to get freaked out for no reason. Yeah. I mean, it could be a reason. Well, In fact, when you're listening to this, the reason could have already occurred. But right now, when we're recording this on President's Day, right, and the markets are closed, there's no reason to be upset about anything. But sometimes when things are so good, you get upset. It's the psych job of the market. Well, and I mean, it's one of those things that, in hindsight, I wish that for the last 10 years, you know, I had kept some sort of journal or logged, you know, all of the market highs that people have been calling. Now, I'm sure somebody out there has done this, you know, where, I mean, you guys remember going back to the financial crisis, how afterwards people said, well, we're, we're flooding the system with money. There's going to be hyperinflation. Ten years later, <laughs> inflation's barely anything. You know, we're going to have devaluation of the U.S. currency. Haven't seen that at all. I think we should bring up one of our all-time favorite sure-to-be end of the bull market things. This is all for you. This is all my... It's like a retro going over the bull market ending things. You're and I, it's one of our all-time favorites, the fiscal cliff. The fiscal cliff, yeah. Sequestration. Sequestration. I, it's over. <laughs> I remember the panic, some of the talks we did and yeah. meeting people about, I mean... I'm, we're talking white knuckle panic. Yeah. No, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. But um, Dave, you sent me this article uh, over the weekend. And uh, this was in the Washington Post. Why it's important to remember what we don't know about stocks. And we've talked about this general concept before that we think is so powerful in the investment world, yet pretty rare. And that's the, the concept, the idea of humility. Right. There's right. not a whole lot of that. Right. What is there a whole lot of in our world? 
bravado, big opinions. I have the answer. You don't have the answer. There's a lot of that stuff. Not a whole lot of, I don't really know. (laughs) I don't have a good answer. Because humility does not sell. That's true. People don't really follow wishy-washy. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Um. So this was the article uh, in the Washington Post over the past weekend, and uh, they start off saying the nosebleed heights of today's stock prices have, for me, the, the writer, like many investors, have us on a bit of an edge. And I think this is true. I mean, once again, this is anecdotal, but uh, I was walking my dog in the neighborhood, ran into a guy I'm friendly with. He's got a dog. Our dogs like to sniff each other and play and whatnot. He's got a daughter going to college next year. And he said, uh, Steve, what, what do you think? Because he knows what I do. He said, what do you think about money that I've got in stocks paying for my daughter's college next year? You know, I, I'm a little bit nervous. Should I, should I keep them in stock? Should I, should I get out? You know, what, what do you think the answer is? Right. You know, of course, I'm not going to have any crystal ball. I, I don't know what the answer is. But like a lot of people... You're worried that this bull market's gone on for 10 years. How much longer can it go on for? Right. right? Are we, are we going to have a crash or a recession coming? So this author called up Burton. Uh, I never know how to say his last name. Uh, Burton Malkiel. That might be it. Malkiel. When I noticed the article you're about to talk about, I just noticed the name of his book. Because I remember that's an all-timer. Yeah. His his book written back in the 70s, which God, I probably read 20 years ago at this point, um, A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Do I have that one up on my shelf? Um, there it is. Where is it? There it is. Oh, yeah. A Random Walk there Down Wall Street. That's right. Yeah. I had forgotten that I even <laughs> had it up there. But uh, it's been quite a while since I've read that. But it, you know, his philosophy and his um, ideas go very much along the lines of you can't predict the short-term movements or direction of the stock market. You know, hence the random walk that you know I, I remember from the book that he describes this random walk where you know somebody's stumbling and going back and forth, left and right. You don't know which direction they're going to go any one minute. But in the long run, they are heading you know, up in the case of the stock market. Um, so he very much believes that you can't predict these short-term things. But what he said to the author of this article was, well, what we can say relative to historical stock market valuations. So when, when we talk valuations in stocks, generally people are talking about what is the price you're paying for the stock relative to the earnings of the company. So usually they're using PE ratio to measure that, price to earnings ratio. So he's talking about relative to historical valuations, the stock market is richly valued, which means it's pretty high valuations for the earnings that you're getting. Now, a lot of people will say you've got to take more into account than just the P.E. ratio. And I've even heard people like Warren Buffett who would fall very much in in this guy's camp, Burton Malkiel's camp of you can't predict the market. He will say, well, you can't look at P.E. ratios in a vacuum. You've got to look at what are interest rates right now. So if interest rates are incredibly low, well, you're willing to pay a little bit more for earnings. 
Right. If interest rates are really high, you would pay less because your alternative to where you could invest is either more right. or less attractive. Makes, that makes total sense. Um, but his point here, um, and by the way, did I mention this, that he's a Nobel Prize winning economist? Kind of slow played that. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. He wrote the book. It's okay. Right. It's okay. He's a Nobel Prize winning. I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't know. It means a bunch of other people think you're pretty smart. and uh, You must you know award. what you're doing to a certain extent. Most of these right. Nobel Prize winners, they've won it for a reason. This guy just has a long... What I like about it is this is someone who's been around forever. Yep. I'm surprised he's still alive, but that's good for him. And and the reality is someone who's seen... He's 87. Things. Oh, he's not even that old. That's a good run. Do you realize when you, by the time you're 58, Steve, you're going to hear 87? <laughs> oh, it's not that old. Well, of course it's that old. But anyway, <laughs> so, but he's seen it. These people, right. besides knowing what they're talking about, they've seen a lot. And seeing a lot is very good. I, I like <laughs> to hear from people who are much older than me and much more experienced and wise when it comes to this to see what they have to say. Now, as I got halfway through this article, I started to say, uh-oh, I better be doing what this guy's saying. <laughs> Personally, and that's why I actually wanted to talk about this because it validated. I'll let you finish what he has to say, and then mm -hmm. I'll explain why it's sort of made me feel good personally. Well, I mean, he's saying something that you know, if you've sat down and met with us recently, we've probably had this discussion about expectations for stock returns over the next decade. Um, you know, a lot of people look and say, "Oh, the last decade, stocks have done great." And that makes you feel good, but it actually implies that you're probably going to see subpar returns over the next decade. So his comment here is over the next decade, he thinks investors would be very fortunate to see 5% per year. Right. right. Which is something, to credit to you, mm -hmm. you've been telling all of our clients in our meetings Yeah, we've been talking now. about that because... You know, when you've come through this decade of, of big ups without a recession, without a big crash, the chances of going another 10 years without something like that happening are very low. So if you have a big event where the market's down 30 or 40 percent and it takes three, four or five years to recover, that's going to be pretty hard to average your usual average rate of return. Um, and he talks about here, he says that's going to cause heartburn for a number of pension managers who are counting on eight, nine or 10 percent returns. You know, I would say it's going to cause a lot of, more than just heartburn for individual investors who are counting on that. Yeah, I just but then he goes through his remedies for some of this, which is not to basically obviously overdo it into stocks. Mm -hmm. But also he talked a little bit about your own portfolio and how you react to some of this stuff and you know what we are financial advisors so we give people advice and it's a lot easier to advise people on their money than it is to, to worry about your own and what we do I do for myself but as you know but I don't mind telling everybody I'm pretty conservative not conservative not the most biggest risk taker myself right through this whole bull thing i've had my own portfolio somewhere in the 60 40 range of stocks and bonds because that makes me feel better right about when things go down i like to not mess around with my thing for my own personal peace of mind i'm making enough money on my money i like to feel solid and not making rash decisions for mm -hmm. myself 
Yeah. But during this bull market, I have adjusted my portfolio to more like 65-35 along the way. Yep. And the reason is, no matter what, you can't see things. I don't care who you are or how much you read and how much you know. It's It was hard for me to just say, oh, I think I could up it a little bit here years ago, whatever, to 65-35. But I didn't go crazy right. with irrational exuberance. And well, he sort of, I think he, he touches on that a little bit about well, your, your own risk tolerance and how you deal with it. Yeah, and I mean, he also touches on um, you know the very, very basic idea of rebalancing, which, I mean, is so basic that we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about rebalancing, but it is something that we do in all of the portfolios that we manage. Um, but it's just that very basic idea. He uses an example here to say, if you had a 60-40 allocation, um, and to, to have very basic uh, math here, if you were 100% in U.S. stocks and and you know the rest in U.S. government bonds, now at the end of 2019, you wouldn't be 60-40, you would be 64-36. Right. Right? And what do a lot of people do after a year like that? Hey, I'm just going to let it ride. Keep right. it going. Right? This is great. I want my stocks to be up 31% again, again, again. Um, you know, whereas you really should rebalance that, take some of that risk off the table and get back to that 60-40. Um, that's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do regularly, which is why we recommend you either set some sort of systematic rebalancing or, or have a portfolio manager right. do it. And then mentally, why it might not be easier, just stick to disciplined thoughts about the stock market that have basically held true forever. And that would be buy low, sell high. That's what that rebalancing works. is. Right. Rebalancing is buy low, sell high. Yeah. If that's worked forever, that'll work for you. And that's and that's a pretty good way to go without, again, without panicking when or getting irrationally exuberant. I think that we're going to be using that phrase a lot for a little while now, as long as things keep skyrocketing. Right. You know. All right. Um, as always, I'll post a link to this article down below the podcast. Uh, but Dave, you and I had similar thoughts on what to talk about in addition here. Right. And uh, the the morning that we're sitting here, presidential hopeful uh, Mike Bloomberg has come out with some thoughts on and some more concrete ideas than we've seen in the past on changes that he would like to see made to Social Security. And, you know, some things that, that caught my eye were a, a higher, how do you say this, <laughs> a higher low end of the Social Security income bracket. So basically that the lowest benefit that you could get would be a little bit higher. So it's essentially designed to protect, um, protect a lot of seniors from slipping below that federal poverty line. Um, now, I mean, I haven't looked in tremendous detail at Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Mayor Pete or, you know, whatever, any of these other proposals. Um, or you can go on the other side and say, you know, what do the Republicans want to do with Social Security? Um, but <laughs> it, it always brings us back to this fundamental idea of how do you prepare for things like this? Right. You know. How, how can you prepare for changes to Social Security that might take place, not just with this election, but maybe it's the following election or the one after that or the one after that? I mean, you're going to live through a lot of presidents. Right. 
Um, and this is, like I've said before, this is not the most satisfying answer for people, but you've got to have extra income planned in to your own situation. You've got to say, you know what? It takes us $7,000 a month to live, but we're going to plan on we could comfortably cover 8000 plus. Right. Because I'm, if... Yeah, I mean, this Bloomberg's thing to me, which seems reasonable, by the way, for a Democratic candidate, is, okay, they're going to lower the floor of Social Security. Now, mm-hmm. for the demographics of this podcast, not everybody, but <laughs> Demo- that means helping you not, not at all. Right, yeah. To do it, what's going to have to happen is raising taxes. Now, that affects you. What's the bottom line of that plan? No extra Social Security, higher taxes for most people listening. I'm not saying that's good or bad. As a matter of fact, part of me has no problem with the notion of American retirees in general having no money because having some money out there helps the economy, which also ultimately helps the other thing you have listening to this, which is... A stock portfolio. So, but the reality is what is, what you just said is is a good way to plan for it. Having, be prepared for higher expenses. Yeah. It's a monthly income kind of thing in retirement that you have to be prepared for. Yeah. And I mean, this this is the same discussion that goes around. Well, what if, you know, medical costs go way up or what if fuel costs go way up? Well, you know what? When we're doing retirement projections and we try to plan for all these contingencies, the best way to do it is not to be on that knife's edge of, oh, we can just barely squeak by as long as everything goes perfectly. Um, you've got to have that cushion in there to plan for the right. the unexpected. Which is why events. when we plan for inflation, the growth of your costs, it mm-hmm. might not be pure inflation. Like, we, you, oh, the inflation rate's been low for, yeah, but what about now that, let's project in the future that, President Bloomberg has raised our taxes. Right. You know, your bananas might not cost that much more, but now you're paying more taxes. You put it all together. Things cost more. You have less money or it costs more to live now. Right. Than it did then. Nope. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope uh, hope you guys are taking President's Day off. And uh, we will talk to you again soon.